welcome to Insight, the insurance news podcast hosted by me, Andrew Sawcox. In this week's edition of Insight, we look back to better times when the most famous Dan in the world was not the Premier of Victoria, but the author of The Da Vinci Code. The last time the Code of Conduct was updated was 2014. That, incidentally, was the year Apple launched its watch product. It's now up to version 7. Need I say more? The last time we didn't talk about the weather on this podcast, Lavinia Nixon was still presenting. And the last time we mentioned an unusual AFCA ruling was only a few weeks ago, but frankly, I think that's too long. Hello, everyone. On the panel today are Managing Editor John Deeks, Deputy Editor Wendy Pugh, and Chairman Terry McMullen. Good morning, Wendy. Good morning, Andrew. What do you get nostalgic for? I guess, uh, you know, summers from your childhood. <laughs> I'm very whimsical. Hello, John. Morning. Uh, what about you? What do you get nostalgic for? Oh, when my football team was any good, which was probably when I was about one year old. <laughs> and good morning, Terry. Good morning. This is usually where I make a terrible ageist joke at your expense. So yeah. um, <laughs> I'll let you do that. <laughs> <laughs> right. What I miss is summer, full stop. I, I don't care about the summers of my childhood as Wendy does. I just would like to see summer. Thank you. So on to this week's news. A new insurance broker's code of practice. It was one step closer after Niebuhr released another draft code. Wendy, how many drafts will we need? This draft is um, uh, part of the process to update the existing um, uh, 2014 code of practice and, and the review started in, in 2018 uh, and then it got held up by the Hain Royal Commission and other things. So it's uh, been a long process. So, so finally in February, a discussion paper was uh, released along with the document that was like an EBA markup of um, potential changes for, for consultation. But uh, consumer groups and the Code Compliance Committee in responses said that the changes didn't go far enough and it needed to go much further and there needed to be a more substantial rewrite to go above and beyond the law and to really assist consumers. So now an improved version has been released and, and people can um, provide feedback on that by uh, December 10. Is this version going to go down better than the last one? Well, um, you know, the main critics were the uh, consumers and the code committee. So the uh, Consumers Federation say they still uh, have to consider this new version in detail, but they very much welcome a substantial change in approach from the previous draft. Uh, so it looks like um, the criticisms um, have been taken uh, on board and it will be a, a much more substantially rewritten document. So Terry, um it's good to see Niebuhr acting on constructive criticism, but many feel this process has taken much longer than it should have. Yes, it has, way too long. It's, it's pretty fair criticism. The lack of a, a more responsive and, and updated code was always going to eventually catch up with Niebuhr. But let's not forget it's a small organisation compared to ICA, and we should also remember that since they announced a review way back in 2018. The recently departed CEO, Dallas Booth, was really uh, focused on dealing with a huge range of regulatory issues and a major royal commission. So there were an, a lot of distractions for a small number of people to be able to handle. Developing a new code requires a lot of consultation and someone to drive it forward. And, you know, if there's no interest from the members or other priorities are regarded as more urgent, then, then things like codes of practice risk getting shoved to the side. I just think the Royal Commission's findings, even though they don't 
applies specifically to brokers in most instances really has made it imperative to get a move on. Well, moving on, this weekend saw more wild weather across many parts of the country. This week's analysis takes a look, but it used too many acronyms for me to be bothered to read it. So can you enlighten me? Uh, yes, yes, I, I can. Um, so we, we've had some terrible weather lately, as everyone everyone down the East Coast knows. Lots of rain across much of the country, high winds, hailstorms, and even some tornadoes a while back. We've had one insurance catastrophe from hail and wind that struck in South Australia and Victoria last month. But it's really the cumulative effect of lots of smaller events that is hurting insurers. As we've reported, IAG and Suncorp, have both recently burst through their predicted natural peril cost allowances. What our analysis does is look at why we're getting the weather that we're getting and explains the many different climate drivers that are having an effect. We know there's a La Nina looming, but there are other drivers too that are all combining to point to further wet weather ahead. John, where should I be booking my holidays? It's a bit of a lottery, really. I mean, you could try WA, but then I think they've had some fire weather lately, so nowhere safe in Australia. (laughs) That's not just because of the pandemic. Terry, why is it important for insurance professionals to be across this stuff? Well, if you're going to be talking about weather risks to your clients, it it does help if you can demonstrate some deeper knowledge of the, the factors that are actually driving our climate. Hey, and it might also get you past the climate changes fake news stage, which would be nice. Well, John, here in Victoria, the first Australian jurisdiction has set up an event interruption insurance scheme. What does that even mean? Uh, Yes, so Victoria is the first uh, state or territory to set up a scheme like this. And what it's trying to do is reinvigorate the local events scene. Um, Organisers are understandably cautious at the moment about putting on large events, uh, which could be scuppered by COVID-related restrictions at very short notice. And traditional event insurance is highly unlikely to cover such losses. So the state government has stepped in. If an organiser takes out the cover and the state or federal government imposes restrictions for the time period that the event was due to be held, then they'll be paid 100% of the event's declared value if that event has to be cancelled. All this would be for a premium, of course, which will be based on an as yet unannounced percentage of the declared value of the event. This cover can be purchased from next month. Jerry, should other states be following Victoria's lead here? And why is it falling to governments to provide this sort of cover? Because event insurers right now are wary of anything that gathers lots of people together. Um, there's just not the, the, the business there right now. The risks are uh, pretty high and very difficult to assess. But Victoria spends millions and millions of dollars promoting itself as a major events venue throughout the year, the Grand Prix, Melbourne Cup, that sort of thing. And the music scene's trying to resurrect itself as well with summer festivals and so on. So until the insurers return to the field, and I guess they eventually will, the, the government's really providing the, the security that organisers need. Well, Wendy, AUB is, says it's considering expanding overseas. Do we know exactly where they're looking at? Well, they didn't really give any detail. Um, CEO Mike Emmett just told the AGM that the AUB business model is well suited to multiple countries worldwide 
And he went on to say that the careful and considered expansion to new territories is anticipated in future. So um, they, they did last year purchase 40% of BizCover, um, an online commercial insurance platform. And, and BizCover last week said it, said it had launched a venture in, in South Africa involving a couple of insurers there. So, I mean, maybe that's uh, among the possibilities. Do you think this is wise, Terry? It's a little hard to tell. There, there are always risks in expansion and definitely it would be a case of where you choose to expand to. I'm very intrigued by Wendy's comment about South Africa uh, because I have no idea exactly what Mike Emmett has in mind. Opportunities in the Australian market are becoming more difficult. There, There's a finite number of brokerages available to invest in. And we have got foreign brokerages coming in here now trying to, to buy uh, business here. So AUB might be seeing better growth opportunities in foreign parts. I, I was interested in, in Wendy's BizCover comment because... If they're talking about exporting the AUB ownership model, Asia is a challenge. But when you take into account the deep ties that quite a few Australian uh, insurance companies and individuals in broking and underwriting have with South Africa, that would be a, a really good keen bet on where AUB might look to expand. But I'm only guessing. Well, I'm finally, John, we've reported on an AFCA case that suggests that if an insurer thinks a claim is dodgy, then it's better off declining it sooner rather than later. Can you tell us about this? Yes. So this uh, determination relates to a life insurance claim, but there are probably lessons here for general insurers too. A one-path customer put in a TPD claim for shoulder and knee injuries but the insurer decided to investigate for potential non-disclosure or misrepresentation. There was various toing and froing between the parties, but the insurer didn't reject the claim until 23 months later. AFCA says that the Life Insurance Code of Practice states that insurers should decide on claims within six months or 12 months at the most if there are unexpected circumstances. So it says one path took too long to make a final decision and AFCA ordered that $5,000 be paid to the complainant because of the delay, which interfered with his peace of mind. AFCA's determination made no comment on whether the decision to reject the claim was correct, because that didn't form part of this complaint. So while sometimes it might be appropriate to carry out detailed investigations into claims, there is a limit to the amount of time an insurer should take to reach a final decision. Well, that brings us to the end of this week's Insight Podcast by Insurance News. Thank you once again to a panel, John Deeks, Wendy Pugh and Terry McMullen. Enjoy your week and thank you all for listening. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at editor at insurancenews.com.au. We value your input. You can read all these stories and many others at your leisure at insurancenews.com.au. You can subscribe to the Insight Podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Acast, on all your favorite podcast platforms now. We look forward to catching up again next week.